Hey, dear listeners, welcome to On The Mount Podcast with OK and the and myself and Michael Onyagwa. First things first, we're going to talk about Anchor, one of our sponsors. Uh, it's a fantastic website, too. I mean, if you want to put out audio of any sort, um, it's a fantastic resource. Um, you know, you could use it to record, put out ads. It's um, a, a very efficient website that does a lot of things for you. When you go, when you just go on there, saves time, especially as a smaller business. I've been using it. We've been using it for our productions, and it's been a game changer for us. And you know, advice that you go ahead and use in the encore. Um, definitely take a take a look at it and keep keep going with it. Um, we're going into the new, the a new podcast today. You know, it's going to be about the upcoming election season. In the next couple of weeks, it's going to be fantastic. We're going to talk about it. Uh, we're going to talk about. Some of the perceptions about the um, candidates and their possibilities of winning, you know, stay tuned, talk, expect your feedback. It's going to be fantastic. And uh, yeah, let's get into it. Thank you. Okay. So here we go. Now we're here. Um, podcast. I talk a lot about the elections and stuff. Um, unfortunately, you know, we got a very um, um, interesting and actually a very interesting, unfortunate situation co- coming up. Um, it'll be very. It's um, next couple of weeks we have the election. I think on fifteenth of February, and um, I'm here with the illustrious Okay Ndebi himself. Hmm. We're gonna you know, discuss about a society in Nigeria heading to the elections and stuff like that. And he just came back from Nigeria last week. Is it Thursday, right? Yeah, for your mom's burial. I actually came in on the 25th of January. 25th? Oh, yeah, two weeks ago. So, you went for your mom's burial. Yes. Um, you know, sorry about that. Um, I guess, you know, like we say, it's, um, we always pray that um, as parents, that our parents, our kids bury us and stuff. So, yes. it's interesting mm-hmm. that um, it's it's good, not just interesting, <laughs> to be able to bury one's parents pretty much. That's right. I know there's a lot of festivities and a lot of things to get done there. A lot of, um, I can imagine all the celebrations, um, being that she was 94 years old. Well, my mom was almost 94. She was 93 and seven months. Yeah. 93 and seven months. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, she was virtually 94. Yes. That's pretty interesting. She lived a long and good life. Mm-hmm. A very... Um, um, Serious Catholic. Yeah, she was a very devout Catholic, as was my father. And um, not only did she go to Mass every day, as she did with my father until his passing 23 Mm. years ago, but uh, my mom lived out her faith um, in caring for the poor, in um, taking care of especially... Uh, those we might call the rejects of our, of our society, uh, the men and women who, out of ignorance, will be described as witches and wizards, um, whose only crimes uh, often was that maybe they outlived one or two of their children. And then uh, people will say that they killed their own children. And uh, my parents would always uh, open their home and their hearts to to such people. And my mom um, would actually spend her birthdays, uh, the first few hours of her birthdays, she would go to a prison 
uh, take food to prisoners and uh, talk to them and counsel them and feed and feed them. Um, and she would make the rounds and um, sometimes bedridden, especially women. Um, some of them abandoned by their own families, and my mom uh, would go and bathe them and uh, wash their clothes. So she was um, the most. I would say that she's the most holy person that I was blessed to know. Yeah, and and did that come from like that came from her Christian beliefs? Like we're it talking came, about, it came from her deep uh, Christian faith, and I know that um, we live in a, a society in Nigeria and increasingly around the world where there is a disconnect between what people profess as their faith and how they conduct their lives. Um, but my parents um, had their faith, their profession of faith, Christian faith, and they, their deeds in the world were perfectly aligned. They lived out their faith in caring for widows and for orphans and for the poor and for the sick. Yeah. Yeah, that's interesting, though. Um, you know, taking care of people that were outcasted. Um and most of which we're talking about before, uh, people who have had some kind of misfortune before them. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, which might be no fault of their own. but No, it's not no fault of their own. Um, but we have a society where our understanding of, of, um, of sickness, for example, uh, is still at the very, at sometimes uh, in some, in some parts of the, of our country, so um so poor that if if uh, an elderly woman or man uh is still alive and loses a a child one of their children um they uh larger the society around them uh often fall to the temptation to describe these unfortunate men and women as witches and wizards and so they will be uh, ostracized. Um, often nobody would uh, visit them or let them visit their homes. But my parents were fearless and mature Christians. And so they would open their homes to such, to such people and uh, have them visit with us and eat with us and... Uh, visit their homes and send us to take food to them and to run er other errands when we were young, like fetch water for such people. Um, and so as a child, I was actually terrified, tell you the truth, when <laughs> my parents would send me to some of these people that were, uh, the, the rest of the, uh, of, of the people we call witches or, or wizards, um, and so when I was sent to them, I would be terrified. And when they visited our homes at night after um, the, the lamps were turned off, I would sometimes picture that there was somebody in the room, you know, uh, who was about to follow me, some witch or wizard. And sometimes I'll start, you know, boxing the air, you know, in, in, in an act of desperation. Uh, but as I grew up, I came to... I have a, a very profound respect for my parents and love for them um, for a, their enlightenment and how they brought 
the love of Christ to these people who had been cast aside. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Um, that's pretty interesting because, you know, I got spoken about before. Um, I had, my mom had um, six, five siblings and I saw six, five of them died. And my grandmother ended up moving back to her father's place and all that stuff. Uh, my mom has never really spoken about that to me one-on-one. Mm-hmm. But I could imagine just how difficult it was. She always talks about how they died because of sickle cell. Yes. Um, which was paranoid about me. Never mind anybody that is an AS, not carrier. Forget about SS, just AS. <laughs> nuclear war. Yes. All that war. Doesn't matter how nice mm-hmm. you were. That was always the first question. Um, but you know, it, it's it's always very interesting, you know, that those kind of things. Uh, your your mother took that from her faith, mm-hmm. or what she interpreted from from the teachings of society, and well, not society, from her faith, mm-hmm. and took it down, and you know, put it up. Um, even as a school teacher, mm-hmm. um, yeah, my mom was a school teacher all her life, and she was an extraordinary teacher. Uh, not just because she was an excellent teacher who would hold all her students to high expectations, uh, but my mother regarded all her students as her own children. And so she would not allow uh, her children to fail, and she would uh, invite them to our home to give them extra lessons after school. Uh, if uh, her students were poor and didn't have much food, my mom would send food to their homes, even though, even though we didn't have much. And uh, when she died, um, a classmate of mine in elementary school um, called me and told me how um, when we were in elementary school, his own father couldn't pay his school fees and uh, wanted to send him off to learn a trade. And my mother intervened and uh, arranged to pay his school fees uh, because, according to my mother, he was a very uh, bright kid and it would have been a loss for him not to continue with his education. education. And so that was the kind of um, uh, self-disregarding, um, sacrificially um, other-minded uh, mother kind of mother that I had. And... Um, her funeral was a an absolute celebration. Um, my mother had called all five of us, her children, for four sons and a daughter, two years ago, and told us that she considered herself blessed uh, by God with a long life. And she said, whenever she was called home, that she would, you know, that you know, first of all, she said she was uh, grateful that we had uh, shown her affection. Um, um, beyond her expectations and so she said if you want you can throw me in a casket and put me in the ground i'll be happy but then she had a sense of humor she (laughs) laughed and said to us but listen other people will expect a feast so go get ready and so um we knew that she would not uh, approve of of, uh, an obscene funeral uh, but we made sure that everybody who came to our funeral was well fed and um you know, had uh, drinks, um, and there was a, a lot of dancing, um, lots of our students and relatives and friends and admirers were there, and uh, it was, it was, it just showed a beautiful life and what happens when you have lived one. And you finally had to wear a uniform. 
Yes, you know, as, as you know, I'm, 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 I'm uh, you know, uh, philosophically opposed to wearing what everybody else is wearing. Apparently. Uh, but my mother was such a, a special woman that um, once she passed on, uh, my siblings said, we all have to wear the same outfit. And uh, I knew that I had to comply because um, my mother was just so wonderful that I wasn't going to do anything that would um, um, cause any kind of disaffection uh, around our funeral. Yeah, that's interesting. So I wore it. I, w- I actually wore it. Uh, and, and that's part <laughs> of that's my favorite picture of you now. It's yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my favorite picture of you. But I mean, it's, it's so interesting, yes. like looking at your mom and mm-hmm. looking at a lot of people in Nigeria, how religious they are. Mm-hmm. But it never reflects on society. Um, that's in my opinion. I, I look at it like it, 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 what religion is supposed to reflect. And you know, you could argue that, well, you know, people are trying in Islamic faith. People could say, like, you know, the jihadists don't reflect Islamic people and all that stuff. That's a different argument. But I just feel holistically, whether you're Catholic or whichever, you know, religion it might be, Islam, whatever, I think those things that people say are the tenets of religion. You look at Nigerian society as a whole, it almost never reflects that way. You don't see people caring about society at large. Mm-hmm. Maybe at best, your family. Yeah. Um, maybe at best you have like one wife and mm-hmm. all the kids are from one wife and all that stuff mm-hmm. in Nigeria mm-hmm. but you don't see reflecting that way it's, it's ironic well it is um, and I think that part of, part, um, part of the crisis is that um, lots of people in Nigeria have uh, created a God that they can uh, do business with as it were uh, in other words, you see a politician who rigs an election and he says, God has given me power. It's only God that gives power, which, of course, we know to be a lie. God does not vote in elections. And you can actually have an atheist, somebody who is fiercely anti-God, who wins an election. And so um, God doesn't vote in elections. And at any rate, God, if, if it were true that God will give power to one politician over another, to one uh, um, candidate over another, the election will must be consistent with who God is, uh, above board, above reproach. True. But what you see is that our people rig elections and they ascribe their crime to God. Uh, our people steal public funds and they say, God has blessed me. Of course, God cannot be part of something as hideous as the embezzlement of public funds. Um, and so the difference uh, you know, between uh, the kind of Christian that I really uh, admire and exemplified by my parents is that they lived out in their lives uh, they lived out the tenets of their fate. And so my parents were absolutely faithful to each other. Um, uh, nobody could accuse them of stealing f- a penny that belonged to somebody else. Okay, um, Nobody would accuse my parents of lying to give advantage to themselves or to somebody else. You know, they spoke the truth as they saw it and so they lived out their faith and i wish that more christians and more muslims will live out their faith as christians and muslims and um to to give you a quick story uh, my father during uh, in the prelude to the biafran war 
my father was a postal clerk in Yola, uh, current Adamawa state. And so he had sent us home with her mother, but had to stay back in Yola because the government, the federal government had said that if you left your post as a civil servant, uh, you'll be fired. You were automatically fired. And so one day he was at the post office and uh, a bunch of thugs arrived to kill them. You know, these were in the pogroms that preceded the war. And my father and the other postal workers barricaded themselves inside the post office and the mob was trying to break down the door. Guess what? At the very nick of time, the uh, Lamida of Adamawa, the Muslim Fulani leader of the town, happened to be driving past in his convoy and he stopped and rescued my father and the other postal workers and kept them, gave them sanctuary in his palace for three weeks until things calmed down and he personally escorted them to the banks of the river Benue where they uh, got on the last ship that went uh, east. And so years later, I'd written about this, um, this kindness on his part and an also woman who knew my wife called us and said that that Lamido was still alive. I had assumed that he would have died. So in 2008, I think a year before he died, I went to Yola, the place where I'd been born, uh, to see him. And so I said to him, you, you, you're a Muslim and the people you saved were Christians um, and you're Fulani, the people you saved were Igbo and from other south, southern states. I said, why did you do it? And he said, it was my duty as a true Muslim to make sure that innocent blood was not spilled. And so true Muslims and true Christians ought to call themselves to the uh, tenets of their faith, to the best tenets of their faith. And that's what my parents uh, demonstrated every day. Uh, in their lives i mean it's it's interesting like you know um it's good that you have like a lot of religion in nigeria mm-hmm. and i'd say most of them don't call themselves to what you might describe as the tenets to the faith mm-hmm. um most of them subscribe to whatever they sub- subscribe to mm-hmm. but um i'd say as a whole um those kind of tenants, even though I think they are all similar to most faiths, like do good, all those kind of things, mm-hmm. they're not prevalent in Nigeria. Everybody mm-hmm. does, people do what they want to do, mm-hmm. how they want to do it. So I head into these elections, you know, it's, it's almost like, it's more or less like, look, it's a Buhari or a Tiku thing. Mm. Uh, some people are like, a Tiku is, yeah, a Tiku is slightly better than Buhari. Nobody's ever telling either of them is good. Yeah. They are, they are trying to give a variation. They're trying to give an, a universe where one is slightly better than the other. Yeah. Um, and when I say nobody's perfect, don't get me wrong, but it's just that nobody is saying either of them. At this point in time, nobody's saying either of them mm-hmm. can't solve the problem. Because last elections was like at, um, Buhari was going to solve the corruption issue. Mm. And now, you know, you still have a few people are saying like, well, you know, the change is going to take a, t- a while. Solving corruption takes a while. Mm-hmm. You know, Bar is trying, which, you know, objectively mm-hmm. he's not. Mm-hmm. Um, and then looking at it, like, you're looking at it religiously, like, okay, you know, some people, a lot of people are religious. They're not really living in tenants of their faith. Some people are not religious, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which is cool. Mm-hmm. Um but in Nigeria, that's not a thing, sadly. Um, yeah, to, to get to the religion question before I get to the elections, um, there's a way in which religion has become the 
crisis in Nigeria, you know. Again, and it's the case because people are not, people are inventing their own religion, okay? People want to uh, make money, and so they, so they steal public funds, and they say God has blessed them. People want power, and so they rig elections, and they say God has given us power. Uh, people, um, you know, um, have no, uh, don't pay, pay very little attention to healthcare in our country, to the fact that we, know, we don't have any healthcare system. And so when you, you fall sick, is actually a battle that becomes grim quickly because you have very little um, um, healthcare. And yet when people die, as a consequence of the kind of country we have created, uh, some of our people then say, oh, it's some witch or wizard uh, that, um, you know, held a meeting and decided to kill somebody. And so it's a mixture of ignorance, okay, and it's also um, what I will call a bastardization of religion. So that our people, you know, when our people say, even in... If you have a, a fight with somebody, you can be at a bus stop and you see two men or women arguing and one will say, the God I serve will, will kill you. Very and true. I say, we've reduced God to a thug who is on our side that we can send to go kill the other person. You know? uh-huh. <laughs> that's, so, that's a funny thing. Yeah, you know, yeah, you know the God I serve thing. will, you know, if my God is alive, then you are not going to see tomorrow. Yep. And I say, so is this God separate from the God for the other person? You know, what makes you so? It's as if we have each our separate God, and our own God is helping us to steal funds, is helping us to rig elections, helping us to beat the other person up, helping us to take somebody's wife or somebody's daughter, and so on and so forth. But to get to the election, I um, during the three weeks that I spent in Nigeria for my mother's funeral. I made a point to hold many conversations with individuals, but also I spoke to groups, um, most notably the Rotary Club of... So, like, you went in front of... Okay, like Rotary Club. Yeah, yeah, the Rotary Club of Victoria Island meets every Thursday. And so they, uh, one of their members knew that I was in town and asked if I would come speak to them. Uh, but before then, I had spoken to so many different groups. And, you know, I'll be at some public functions and I'll informally speak to people. And what I'll say to them was, um, if you own the private business and you needed somebody to manage that business for you, and uh, Atiku and Buhari and Kinsley Morgalo and Fela Durojaye uh, uh, and uh, if they all applied to run your business, would you even interview Atiku and Buhari? And the answer would be no. Then I'll say to them, then when, why do, we, do you talk of Atiku and Buhari as the serious candidates in an election? Um, I was in Nigeria the day uh, there was supposed to be a presidential debate. Buhari uh, bailed out. Atiku showed up at the venue but refused to come on stage because he said Buhari wasn't there. That's right. And so it was between RBS and Kinsley Morgan and, and, and uh, Fela uh, Durojai. And Nigerians, the whole conversation, 
the next day and that evening was how Atiku and Buhari didn't show up. I said, look, the best candidates in the race were in that debate. So why are we even concerned that the mediocrities in the race decided to hightail it out? I said, there is a reason why Buhari wasn't there. There's a reason why Atiku couldn't stand there because they can't compete with the field. So in a serious country, these three will be the ones we should be talking about as the leading candidates. So what explains this pathology, this malady, this disease of the mind, where Nigerians take people that they cannot entrust even their private business to, and yet we're talking about hiring them to run a far more complex, far more important entity called a nation. I don't understand it. I think that by at least a thousand miles, is not close, that Kingsley Mogalu is the best candidate in the race. In fact, I think that if Buhari and Atiku had their minds together, that they would vote for Kingsley Mogalu. They would know that they themselves are bad for themselves. <laughs> That's some serious stuff, though. I mean, that I'm, I'm speaking seriously now. I mean, for people who who, who want, I, I I I get where you're coming from on that issue. Like for people who, like an article who tends to have all kinds of businesses, you know, you could argue about how he he you know acquired his 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 income or whatever, you know. But for people who have all kinds of businesses and really want to be like uh, financial gurus and keep being where they are. I'd say, you know, you might have a point overall. Um, but maybe he sees it more like, you know, I want to be the only cock that crews. Mm -hmm. So I want to be the guy. The only person that has money. Everybody comes to me. Which is one reason why he's still relevant. Because mm -hmm. he's able to dish out those mm -hmm. those those kind of financial whatever mm -hmm. to people. Yeah. Well, there's no question that Atiku has a high opinion of himself. You know, you don't blame him for having a high opinion of himself. Who I blame is Niger are Nigerians. That Nigerians will have a field with a Kingsley Moralu in the race, with a Tobe Fashua in the race, with Obieza Kwasile in the race, with uh, Fela uh, uh, Durojaye in the race. That will have men and women of enlightened minds who understand who are students of history and who actually understand that a that no country or uh, let me change that let me sort of amend that that very few countries rise to greatness on the strength of their natural resources that countries achieve greatness economic well-being by husbanding their mental resources um, that we would still be talking of, a, of an Atiku whose wealth, I would suggest, I mean, I think Atiku became a man of means, especially after he served out a term, two terms as uh, vice president of Nigeria. There is no question that what happens in Nigeria is that public funds are primitively transferred into private pockets and Atiku has indeed indicated that he's going to enrich his friends okay that is his understanding of statecraft Buhari has been doing the same thing 
you know, there is obviously, and people like to bandy the word cabal, but there are people around Buhari who have been running the country in the absence of this man who has been too sick to even have a voice. I'm not saying that he would have been competent, that he would have been a good president had he been present. I think that Buhari came into the presidency ill-prepared and did not have it in him to run a, com a, a country with the complexity of, of Nigeria. In fact, that he should not, objectively speaking, be even invited to run his own village. Okay? <laughs> and, and I don't mean this as an insult. I'm speaking in all seriousness, right? The, 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 the thing is, uh, you're taking like an insult, though. Yeah. Well, I hope. Hopefully, he, he does. I, I hope he doesn't, because you know, I mean, because you say a few things about politicians, and and they take it as an insult because they have a Nigerian certain, politicians, Nigerian, but because they have a certain view of themselves, which is an inflated view of who they are. Objectively speaking, given uh, his exposure, his education, and so on and so forth, his age, education. Both, Yes, or lack of it. Are you are you poking fun of what people said about his YX stuff? No, no, no. And, and when I you see when I talk about education, right? Yeah. I want I want to emphasize that I don't. I'm not one of those who knock Buhari over whether he has um, uh, had a secondary school certificate or not. Because it sounds like it. If, no, but the point is that if you become an officer, even in the most wretched army, the the training would have given you something far more in terms of uh, importance and weight than a secondary school living certificate. So, so, you know, so I'm, I don't hold it against him. But what I hold, and when I talk about education, there are people who don't have a, a degree, who are far more educated than some PhDs. Okay, but Nigerians, so, Nigerians see everything about having some kind of people. Yeah, you know, so you know, but I'm saying that Buhari, when he speaks, when he when he interacts, you don't get the sense that he's somebody who has an understanding of the world, and, and at least that, that, that he does. That's, that's not even a doubt. That, that's that, not even in doubt. Precisely, that he doesn't have a sophisticated understanding of the world. He doesn't so have that's, a so, that's, sophisticated. That's what, that's, that's, he doesn't even have an understanding of today's of, world of whatsoever. The world, you know, so I think he's somebody who is in a time warp of sorts. You know, who thinks that if you ask him what's the time, he might say 1980 <laughs> something. You know, when, you know, and, and I, I, I say this with all seriousness. You know, um, so at any rate, we have. Kingsley Morialu. And I think that um, as, I, as I spoke to lots of Nigerians and lots of groups, um, they will say to me, yes, Kingsley Morialu is by far the best candidate in the race. But uh, some people will say, but he won't win. That's and number I, and, one. And I say to them, that's the silliest reason not to vote for somebody. I say, at any rate, those of you who support Buhari or Atiku, I say, both of them are not going to win. One of them is going to lose. So if you countenance the fact that you support Atiku and he might win, he might lose, or you support Buhari and he might lose, then that Kingsley Mohalo might lose is not an excuse not to vote for him. But 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 don't you think that like more of like one of the okay, I'm, I'm not supporting Kingsley Moore. Oh, okay, you know, not me. I'm just saying somebody saying that. Mm -hmm. Don't you think somebody saying that is more more or less looking at the point that the system is rigged. 
Mm-hmm. When I say rigged, I don't even mean it like philosophical. Like literally rigged. Mm-hmm. It's either one of the two guys that can take the ballots to win, and mm-hmm. the two guys that can physically um, grab the ballots and change the results are two parties. Mm-hmm. Don't you think that's more where people are talking about, kind of thing? Yeah, that that's that's a, a lot of it. That 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 there is within the system a certain access to cash, a certain access to the state um, instruments of violence. Control of the, the state, police. The state instruments of controlling society, of, Precisely. of, of enforcing laws. Precisely. Stuff, like the so, army, so the police, the and stuff army, like that. the police, uh, the SSS, uh, INEC officials, that these are the people who collaborate with you to rig. So people are saying, okay, Kingsley Mongalo is not part of that conversation. But I'm saying, precisely because it's not part of that conversation, I agree. That's why those of us who are enlightened in Nigeria should say we want a different kind of country. We don't want a country where people waste their time, we waste our resources doing PVC and uh, voter registration and people can just come on election day and carry the ballot and go and write the results and, you know, inflict themselves on us as our leaders. So are we now going to accept that as the way that business will happen indefinitely in Nigeria? Are we not going to insist on changing things? So listen, we have a country with a history of the anti-colonial movement where Hubbard Macaulay, Zeke, and Awo, uh, uh, Tony Anahro, and the rest of them, and our writers, fought against a far more lethal colonial machinery that had far more power than any Nigerian government has today. And yet, our people fought them and gained independence. So there is, there are interests, vested interests, that want to hijack the resources of Nigeria. So what do they do? They use the SSS, they use the police, they use INEC officials. But guess what? SSS officers are Nigerians. Police officers are Nigerians. Soldiers are Nigerians. INEC officials are Nigerians. We can say to them, they are our, our fathers and mothers and brothers and sisters, right? And children. We can say to them, we have not fought for a country that has missed its road for 60 years in order to continue to empower the kinds of idiots who have put us in the mess that we are in today because Nigeria is in a terrible mess. But, okay? but you saying that they can what I'm saying is, is one what, thing. What, what, no, what I'm saying is that we must say, because these are not, what I'm saying is that it's not some spirits from outer space who come to steal the election. They are our people. The police officer who participates in this is also a victim. But the soldier, the ordinary soldier who shoots you in order to rig elections for a, 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 you know, the PDP or APC is a victim of the PDP and APC, okay? The INEC official who takes money to change electoral results is a victim, or if he's not, his cousins and uncles and aunts and children are victims or will be victims. So we can reach them if we decide to do the work that it takes. We can say to them, by the way, you can't be part of the rigging of this election and be welcome to our society. You can't go and rig for people who are, who are destroying our country and then come back 
and sleep with us and drink your pepper soup. We're going to make it hell for you when you but, come. But, back. but that's the thing. Like it, it sounds more theoretical. What you're saying, which is it's, cool. You it's, know, it's, it's the it, most practical. It's, it's the most practical thing. But the thing is that the people on the other side have made us to believe, the people who have ruined Nigeria, have made us to believe that defeating them is impossible. Do you understand? They've made us to accept, not even just believe. No, they've made us to accept. Do you understand? Because if you look at it, right, a police officer, look at Nigeria. You go to Nigeria now, any man or woman with a little bit of money. They privatize the police force, you know, so two policemen stay in your vehicle <laughs> to provide security. And it's a silly thing because the truth is that if there's any shooting, the policeman runs as far as, as fast as he can, right? Yeah, takes off his but, uniform as well. But, uh, precisely, but it is the people who are stolen our country's resources who are privatizing our police, okay? Um, and they are the ones who are rigging elections. But the police officer... Is their victim. The police officer doesn't have enough. They give him pittance. They don't give him enough to have good health care for himself or to send his children to good schools. So we can reach them if we decide to do the work. And I'm saying that we must begin to undertake the work of reaching these people and saying to them, you are, you're actually fighting yourself. If Buhari tells you to rig the elections for him or Atiku tells you to rig for him, you actually, when you shoot somebody, you are shooting yourself. So what it, what's, what's required is a measure of education to educate these people. And I'm saying that they live among would you, us. Would you call it education or enlightenment? I'd rather use the word Education enlightenment. or enlightenment, the same thing. To, to break it down for them. To say for him, if you're a, the, you know, a politician, you stay in the front of their car, which is air conditioned and uh, air conditioned, and you think that oh now I'm living large. I said, remember that you come out when he you you know bring him to his house. You go to your own air conditioned room, sometimes without power, and mosquitoes will chew you alive. And he goes up to his palatial uh, home, right, where he sleeps in comfort and a good bed and so on. Sometimes you go and you sleep on a mat. But because you, you stay in front, he tells you, beat this person and you beat that person. It's yourself you're beating. Okay? Because another person, another police officer will meet your relative. Okay? And will beat your relative the same way you've been, you've lent uh, uh, yourself to do. So I think that what we need to do as Nigerians is, first of all, as I told everybody, if you believe that Kinsley Morialo is better than Buhari and Atiku, and I, you have to be brain dead to make a contrary argument, but if, if you believe that he's the best, can, the better candidate, then make a commitment to vote for him. Don't ask. Don't make any excuses. Don't tell me he doesn't have structure. Don't tell me he's not going to win. Just vote for him because you say he is the best candidate. Then you do something else. All of us have friends on our contacts list. Some of us have 50 friends. Some of us have hundreds of friends. Send a text message to all your contacts or call the ones that are particularly close to you and you say to them, again, the same question. If you had a job to give to run your own enterprise, would you hire a Buhari or an Atiku over Kingsley Morialo? I'm sure that unless you are brain dead, you say, no, I'll hire, I won't even interview Buhari and Atiku. Then you say to them, let us not make excuses. There is no excuse that, that I have heard 
that is remotely good. Not that it doesn't have structure. I say if it doesn't have a structure, become his structure. If you tell me it doesn't have money, invest your own money by calling people, by texting people. It is worthy to make that investment. If you say to me he's not going to win, guess what? Atiku or Buhari will not win either. So there isn't a good argument that I've heard why our people should lose the opportunity to make a significant change. Because I tell you something, I think we're again in the territory that we were in in 2015. I warned Nigerians, I said, uh, uh, good luck, Jonathan had failed as far as I knew, as far as I was concerned. He had failed as a president. And I said it would be irresponsible to reward somebody who had failed with re-election. But I also warned that Buhari was a dud and that the wielding a broom was not, uh, was not an alternative to coming out with clear vision for society. Buhari had no vision. The APC had no vision. The APC, for all intents and purposes, was a faction of the PDP. So I said... Don't vote for Buhari either. He's going to fail us. Okay? There were other good candidates in the race. In, okay? In, in 2015? Were, in 2015, there was the woman, Sonaya, uh, uh, Remy Sonaya. She was exciting. She was by far the most eloquent candidate there than in the race. Right? But Nigerians, again, oh, you know, she will not win. I said, well, she will not win if you don't vote for her. The same thing they are saying now, uh, Kinsley Mogalo would not win. Well, he won't win if you didn't, didn't vote for him, even though you know that he's the best candidate in, out in the race. So, when are we going to say enough of this uh, continuum of mediocrity, of, of pathology, of poor performance, right? Buhari, um, Buhari has actually has given us his best. And his best is disastrous. So it will be, it will be, uh, if we, if we re-elected Buhari, it will be like Nigerians saying, listen, we've not suffered enough. We really want to be lashed. We, 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 I mean, it's, it's like we want to go to hell. Okay. And yet Atiku, if you vote for Atiku, is going to be much of the same. But maybe he's going to invite people from, uh, the, he, he's going to be more open to um, men and women from different parts of the country to come and be part of the embezzlement of the funds of, of the country. But well, he's not going, he doesn't understand governance but, much but, better than But Buhari there's a school does. of thought that looks at Bahari and is like, look, he's doing a great job. And the reason why people are feeling the pinch is because that's, why, that's the reason why he's doing a great job. Which you know, I don't know. You know, the way he's, I, I don't live there. I haven't been sadly enough almost ten years. Um, but you know, it's kind of funny. Buhari, that way. Buhari has done a good job of exposing himself for the hollow leader that he is. Um, that's the only good job he's done. The other thing he's done, he's done a good job of taking care of his own health by using our country's resources to travel abroad for his own treatment. And it's unconscionable, really. I mean, it is good for a president to look after his health. But a president ought to also love his people enough to say, I don't have what it takes. I don't, you know, to run a country is a full-time job. 
to even be a father in your home. If your children cry, you have to wake up at night. You, you know, um, you have to take them to the toilet. Sometimes you have to prepare food for them. That's at the cellular level of the home. Now you can imagine running a country. And so we have a man who stayed months at a time abroad. And he gave the illusion that he was still running our country. If Buhari remotely was a patriot, what he would have done was to hand in his resignation. And at that, at that point, I would have supported Nigeria saying, we're going to take care of your health wherever you are till you die. Okay? But, oh, to, but, to, but to be abroad in a country that other f- people have fixed, okay? And you are the president of, a, of your country and you go elsewhere and you sit down, okay? And you don't even address Nigerians. You don't give them updates and people would defend that. You know, so Buhari has done his best. I tell you something, if, he, if we re-elect him, he's going to, he talked about the next level. It would be the next level of incompetence the next level of mediocrity, <laughs> the deeper level of so you failure. So def- you definitely don't think this is like, oh, this is the, um, um, what they call him, uh, three-course meal. This is the, fir- this is the um, um, appetizer before, Barry has given the appetizer before the fantastic buffet where he fixed Nigeria on the main course. Well, if, if the, the, Buhari has given us his appetizer, but the appetizer is the best that he had to offer, okay? And the appetizer was bad, okay? So if we then look forward to, to the full meal, then we want to go to hell, really, as a country. You know? I, that's deep, man. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, yeah, deep. yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I'll say from my own point of view, I know I, I, I have more people calling me from Nigeria for financial assistance. I'm not mm-hmm. trying to say I, I, mm-hmm. I, I, I don't have money, so please... If you know me, I try to call me. <laughs> yeah. I'm yes. just saying yes. that it's almost like an every two day thing. Somebody's calling me. Hey, send me this. Hey, even those of them that come to America to visit. I had a friend that came in and uh, starts telling me I should send the hundred bucks. And mm-hmm. I'm like, yeah, mm-hmm. okay. No, things are bad. <laughs> things are bad. Um, and and of course, um, you see, it, again, Buhari's whole thing. Buhari had two planks going for him when he ran in 2015. One was that as a former military man, he was going to have a handle on the Boko Haram um, crisis. Which you might and, say, I saw and, and for Well, they are taking territory as of this morning, every day. They take another territory. They, uh, the, the Nigerian military um, I see the scariest videos, man. Them pushing yeah, them, them like showing videos of them. You know, yeah, yeah, you know, you find officials. Nigerian soldiers on the run. They are massacred. You know, these people, the Boko Haram uh, insurgents taking over territory as they did during Jonathan's time. So that was one plank of Buhari's uh, government. There was a time when he had pushed Boko Haram. But how do you explain that you succeed and then you have a relapse? That's failure to me. The other plank that he had was to fight corruption. First of all, what does Buhari understand by corruption? Okay, because this whole the fighting corruption is uh, arraigning a few former governors and so on before tribunals. It's it's actually a dated idea. It's a, it's a lazy idea because the truth is that you cannot prosecute, as I said before, 
you know, when he took over and indeed when Jonathan took over. You can't prosecute our way out of the crisis of corruption. Do you think so, seriously? Yes. You don't, hmm. have eno- you don't have enough judges, enough lawyers, enough prosecutors, enough courtrooms. Can't you get the courtrooms? No, 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 you can't because again, we have, it, it, it takes, we have um, a legal system where a lawyer could come to court every day and come up with some uh, injunction. And then there is another delay, we call that adjournment for three months <laughs> or six months. You can solve all those things. Yeah, and sometimes for a year, you know, precisely. So yeah. is he doing that? But I tell you what you can do. You can actually, Buhari could have done uh, significant uh, work on corruption if, first of all, if, first of all, he made it clear uh, that he had zero tolerance on questions of corruption. So if you hear that your official, if you get a credible report of corruption by your, by your official, you fire the official immediately. Immediately, right? Regardless of how close they were to you, especially if they were close to you. Then, if you began to institute changes, you should move uh, uh, for... Um, uh, a change in Nigeria's immunity clause, which is the most expansive immunity clause in the world. That's pretty. That's, that, that clause is pretty ridiculous. Though. Precisely, yeah. because elsewhere in the world, you can't prosecute uh, almost uh, anybody uh, in government. Elsewhere, else, elsewhere in the world, you di- you don't prosecute people for acts that are consistent with the demands of their office. In Nigeria, you can't prosecute a governor or a president, even when they have committed manifestly criminal but acts. The, 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 the defense, the other side of that is people say, well, you know, the president, that's an expansion of federal power, which is already like a king. Yeah. But, or you could just like do like what Obasanjo did with, um, I think it was, who was it? Badmuju. Yes. Yeah, yes. him out of yes. office. Yes. Um, kick that, kick that yeah. a couple of other people. Okay. Try to kick out Fiosi. Fiosi, okay. I think. Okay. I don't know if it was Jonathan okay. or Yeradu. Okay, but Obasanjo was, was the most corrupt person. He should have kicked out himself. To start with, if he if he was serious, right? Yeah. But you see, what's happened is that throughout, beginning with Abbasanjo and in Buhari's um, time, uh, the so-called fight against corruption is actually an instrument of coercion. Okay, so 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 you meet you 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 use it to reward your friends. So yeah. you suddenly see that when uh, anybody who was close to uh, Abbasanjo could not be corrupt. Okay, if you were part of the group that wanted Abbasanjo not to get a third term, or was if you were close to Atiku, then you were corrupt. The EFCC and the ICPC will come after you. Um, Yaradua did the same thing. Jonathan did the same thing. Buhari is doing the same thing. You find uh, you find PDP governors who were under prosecution. They hop into APC and suddenly they're no longer corrupt. You don't see EFCC taking up their case yep. and so on. And so, you know, the, the thing is that, and when we talk about the issue of corruption, by the way, this is a, a, um, this is a crisis that has actually. Um, spread through every layer of society. 
So what are you going to do about vice chancellors, about lecturers who are corrupt, about Adam. police officers and police recruits who are corrupt on yeah, the roads, every, about customs officers? New ones. Okay. So, so how many people do we have? To prosecute these people, because if you check you the universities, if you check new, the like Obasanjo did creating ESCC, you have to get like a whole new prosecutorial um, people, I, even I more prosecutors. I, I don't think I don't think in the end, right? I don't think that we go anywhere fast by trying to prosecute our way out of corruption. I think what we need to do is to create new norms, right? Where we say, um, um where we make it impossible for people to have access to cash in our country, right? You and I know that if I went to Obama, let's say that Obama was my friend when he was president. If I visited Obama and he gave me a bottle of beer, that beer, he paid for it, right? He couldn't give me beer from that the U.S. taxpayer will, will, will pay for unless I went there for an official event. Yep. But in Nigeria, every president and every governor, anything that you eat in their house is taxed to us, taxpayers. If their girlfriends want to travel to Paris, they buy first-class ticket public funds. If they, they, they could take five cars and live for their mother in their, their so mother... So you prosecute them for that, though? What do you think so? Okay, but, but what I'm saying is that you have to create a society where those abuses are not happening. Okay? Is it possible? And Buhari, Buhari could have... Any, any president can actually start in that process, right? If, 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 you look at, if you look at the fact that the funds, the cash that is given as bribe, you know, that Nigerian governments can actually change, as happened during uh, in Dasuki's time. He will change funds budgeted for security and hold it in cash. And somebody will say, give this person 150 million naira or 100 million dollars, and it will be given. Trump, however imperial he might want to be, cannot have access to a dollar of U.S. funds. He can't have it. There's no way the U.S. Treasury would, you know, change funds in dollars and give it to Trump, that is U.S. taxpayers' funds. Do you understand? Mm -hmm. uh, so we can make those changes. We can begin to create a society where, because what do you do when you have uh, illicit funds, you tend to buy lots of cars. You tend to build a huge house, both in cities. And if we have agencies that can investigate who owns this house, and it happens to be a civil servant, you come in and you explain how you got those funds. If you build a house in your village, it's not hidden. It's a house. Okay? People can come and question you about how you got the money. If you have 10 cars and you're a governor, you shouldn't be. You don't have enough funds to have ten cars, or you shouldn't. At any rate, at any rate, look at the changes we can also make. We can reduce drastically what we pay our politicians, whether they are legislators, governors, or presidents. If you did made that change, right, mm -hmm. and you also made it impossible for governors and presidents to just have access to the finances of the state of the country 
a lot of these miscreants who run around and want to seize by you know seize public offices by all means by rigging elections by killing their political opponents a lot of them will move on to other scams because you know they will see that if i become a governor or if i become a member of the house or a senator i actually don't earn much okay but now every um committee uh of 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 uh of a legislature can um, harass. So wait, the, the big question is this, right? Yes. What was Barry supposed to do about that? Like, you're asking politicians mm-hmm. to change, the, to be self-righteous in the right way. In the right way. What are they supposed to do about that? Okay, well... What was, it, what, what was he supposed to do about that? Okay. Like, he... he, he People implied that Barry was going to, once he got elected, it was just going to turn around and arrest the chief judge. That was, an, that was mm. you know, he people implied that. And he didn't do anything to dissuade that implication mm-hmm. or those implications. question is, what was he supposed to do? Like, create, how was he supposed to create that kind of system? You know, uh, if he wanted to, if the next guy wants to, if the Kingsley Morgan who comes in and says, hey, we need to create a new system, mm-hmm. you know, Mm-hmm. Um, I, I guess his case in Mughal is kind of different because he's not Buhari I think Buhari has more the political will to do that than Kiss mm-hmm. would even if he Kiss miraculously became president this mm-hmm. year mm-hmm. Um, question is you know how is he supposed to do that when you know you're talking of not prosecuting your way out of mm-hmm. uh, corruption because mm-hmm. um, obviously my, for, for, you know you don't feel it's comfortable people might say my taunt a witch hunt mm-hmm. you know whatever your your point of view might be you know, mm-hmm. so how, how, what was he supposed to do? How was he supposed to do what he was supposed to do? Well, there is, um, there is a power of personal example. That's one. That's the, in fact, I would say that that's one of the most profound powers that the president has. If people know that somebody close to the president was credibly accused of corruption and the president got him fired or got her fired and asked the prosecutors to go after this person for serious prosecution everybody else will sit down will sit up that's one the other one is use the legislative tool send bills to to the nigerian national assembly okay asking for reforms the way contracts are awarded to make the process more open to send you can send a bill asking to create an agency that will monitor the acquisition of assets by people and to make sure even if you all you did was to make sure that people pay taxes so if somebody built a 30 room mansion in in his village went to the bush and threw down 30 room mansion and then every year we say the state will say to him for the benefit of having this house in this state you pay uh, two million naira in taxes every every year, right? And if you don't like it, you can carry the the, the mansion and move to another place, right? Mm-hmm. If you tax people f- as we do here for the cars that they own, for the property that they own, for if if there's a way to monitor if an asset you know comes in suddenly into somebody's account, and the state will take an interest. Where did this money come from? You know, you just paid in 
200 million naira into your account. You are an INEC official. You just called an election and you bring in all this money or so you start you, building all this. So what I'm saying is that there are so many instruments that a, a, a president, how about, how about set up a commission for legal reform, judicial reforms in Nigeria so that our lawyers' cases can be heard as they are heard in America, right? A, a judge set, sets, sets out two weeks to hear a case, okay? So if, uh, if any of the parties, uh, defense counsel or prosecuting counsel, comes up with a motion, the judge rules the next day and the case continues, right? Mm -hmm. And you don't appeal until you finish a case, unlike in Nigeria, you know? A judge rules today, they go to the court of appeal. Then they go. So you find cases going on for five years and they're not even at the level where they are being seriously heard. These are some of the reforms that a serious-minded, visionary president can actually propose, do you understand, to change things. But my point is, too many Nigerians have committed acts of corruption. If you look at the number of universities in Nigeria, public universities, if you look at the number of, of parastatals in the country, right? The people who had them, a lot of them have stolen public funds. How many of them are you going to prosecute? Do you understand? How many uh, even heads of, of departments? You see, you, we don't have the courts and we don't have the prosecutors. So you feel you feel at this point in time, like, is it, is it a question of, okay, um, the best way to move forward is just to move forward and let the past be? That's what you feel? Or, because, I mean, I, I, like, and I'm not even trying to explain Buhari. I think Buhari mm. is indefensible. Um mm. And that's my opinion. Mm. I wasn't there when he was elected. I've not been there since. But I, I feel it's but is it is it a question of you feel like, okay, you know, Nigeria's problems are just so massive that if you want to sit down and prosecute one, you will not succeed so you'll be mm. wasting all your time. No, okay. Let, let let me put it this way. I don't want those who have uh who've been corrupt to get away with their corruption. Okay. To the extent that it can be helped. But what the other thing that I'm saying is that you can help the problem of corruption reduce it drastically by affecting the culture because in the end guess who encourages corruption is the general society the the person who has stolen public funds and receives a chieftaincy title and then receives uh, some praise from the church is is given a knighthood in the church or a damehood right in the church it is because our society welcomes fertilizes corruption right yeah, they do. if you if Stamped we by religion. if we if we suddenly created a system where even talking about what a president can do every year the nigerian president gives out national honors if a president chooses carefully only those nigerians who have lived exemplary lives of service and honesty and he says these are the people who, who who will be honored in, you know, by, my, by my government, right? Mm -hmm. And so the president will start saying to people, don't look at those who have stolen your funds as heroes. It is the people who had the opportunities to steal your funds but didn't, but instead offered you service. Those are the real heroes. If we created a country, uh, why is it that, say, in a place like Germany, a politician or even a billionaire who has made money from private practice will not go to his small hometown 
and build a fifty room mansion. Because people will look at you in disdain as somebody who does, who's wasted pu- public funds. But in Nigeria, you see somebody who is building a two hundred room monstrosity. People will be praising him. Ah, do you understand? So, um, it's a culture that we need to change. And once you change the culture, even that man who has stolen money, okay, who was praised in the past, will now see that when he drives down the road, people don't call him, you know, Ichie or something. That people now recognize that he's a thief. If we achieve that through the change of our culture, the president, a leader who achieves that would have done even far more than putting people in jail. The other thing is, how about in really evolved societies, okay? Um, If you are Trump's sibling, say, and an FBI officer catches Trump's younger brother or sister or older brother or sister committing a crime, would that officer call Trump and say, hey, I no. caught you? Okay, good. He cannot do the arrest. But you know that in Nigeria, if a police officer arrests the son of a governor for doing something wrong, sure. the first thing the governor will do is to call the commissioner of police. The commissioner of police will call the officer and give him hell and ask him to go and apologize to Aga. So if we create a different society where any officer is empowered to arrest anybody who is committing crimes, Okay, and we really make it clear that in our society, everybody is equal before the law. Okay, there are ways in which a president can begin to pursue this, and some of it will be to prosecute people like Obasanjo and Babangida and so on, bring them to court, prosecute them for the crimes that they committed against our country. And there are manifold crimes. You may then choose to commute their sentences to just shame, go home and be, you know, live in shame. Okay? But we know that that people like a passenger, that are, you know, there are so many crimes that were committed during his time that people like Babangida and our other officers who run Nigeria committed crimes and they are getting away with the crimes and they get together as if we own this country. They call themselves critical stakeholders. Mm. Okay? So, of course, Buhari is not going to be the one doing this because Buhari, quite honestly, is a beneficiary. I mean, the, the, the impression was always that Buhari will come in and his fearless is one of them is going to take them down. That hasn't happened. Um, people make excuses like, you know, other things. Um, the rest of us can't see it. Uh, the question, I mean, I mean, it seems like you're, you're putting for your, your, your opinion is like, look, whoever comes in is creating new culture. Don't spend your time. I mean, from what you're saying, to paraphrase what you're saying, mm. prosecute those that need to be prosecuted, but don't spend your time and resources trying yeah. to chase everybody. And if you're going to prosecute, it's important that people see that there is some kind of public confidence. When people can look and see that under Buhari, corrupt politicians who were in the PDP were corrupt. Then they they come to the APC and suddenly they are not corrupt. Then the whole fabric 
becomes holer. The same thing with with Abbasanjo, that people could see that there were governors who were close to Abbasanjo, who were some of the most corrupt elements in the government. Nobody touched them. They were Abbasanjo's boys. The same thing with Jonathan. Same thing with Yaradua. So for me, it's actually worse that the process is selective, that people see you as using this to intimidate people, uh, your political enemies, to stand in line. If we're going to use that, and yet under your nose, the, your very nose, right, there are politicians who are more corrupt than the ones you are prosecuting, then the whole thing, you know, a system, a system has to have integrity. If you are simply using it to play games, then that's what it is. Nobody takes it seriously. Nobody is going to be deterred from being corrupt because you're prosecuting somebody selectively. They will only say, okay, I'm going to be corrupt, but I'll be the friend of the president. So ensuring that I'm not uh, prosecuted. But let me give you um, something that I had proposed when Jonathan took over as president. And I proposed it again when uh, Buhari took over. Mm -hmm. I said that given the enormity of cases of uh, abuse of public trust through corrupt acts. That Nigeria should set up a commission which is in line with the South African Truth and Reconciliation Commission, a, a kind of quasi-relationship um, 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 mm -hmm. between the two, right? Yeah. Set up a commission and you say to Nigerians, to every Nigerian who has held public office, you have a year or six months or whatever to go forward to this commission. Go and declare what you have illicitly acquired. Okay? Public funds that you have illegally acquired. That would be a very novel. Wait a minute. Unique, yeah, precisely. Because that, that's, that, that's the way I say we can go over Go, you know, then so you go and you say, okay, when I was uh, the director of works in Anambra State, I stole two hundred million naira. Out of that two hundred million naira, maybe you've used half of it to build and buy houses. Maybe you now have frittered some on your girlfriends and so on. And so, what you have in cash is twenty million. You declare all of it. I would say that the state then can take a portion of what you've stolen, whether it's 50% that the state takes or 60% in both physical and liquid cash, phys physical or liquid assets. And then the state says, okay, we're going to take, say, 50% of what you've stolen. So if you have two houses in Abuja, they will take one, they will leave one for you. If you have uh, 20 million left, they'll take 10 million and leave 10 for you. But they say, as punishment, you are not to seek any more public office for the rest of your life. Okay? So you give a year and you say to people, if you know you've stolen money, whether you were a vice chancellor of a public university or a permanent secretary or a minister or a commissioner or a senator or whatever, go and confess. This is the penalty. You lose half of what you uh, stole. You will not participate in Nigeria's public life for the rest of your life. Now, after one year, if you haven't gone, then we take it that you're saying you didn't steal. Then prosecutors, investigators can then be set up. 
So if somebody gives information that a particular politician stole, but that politician has not come forward, and prosecutors can show that that's true, then you lose everything. Plus you go to jail because you've cost the state time. So this is what I, the kind of idea that I had proposed as a novel way of fighting corruption. But let me tell you also, when I, you know, I started by saying, what does Buhari or what do we understand by corruption? Do you know that for me, when a state ignores a court ruling, the court rules that an individual is being held Ill illegally and that the state must release a person and the state ignores that ruling, that for me is corruption. That's true. That's abuse of power. And it is that abuse of power that also enables you to take state resources knowing that you are not answerable so wait, to anybody. Wait, would you say, would you propose, because, I mean, clearly you seem, you, you've, you've clearly like said, okay, look, a Kingsley Morgalo is the best candidate. We say Kingsley Morgalo, whoever wins the elections, would you say they should go down that path? Kingsley Morgalo, um, I have no question that his first priority. And you also have to put in mind, that, that, sorry, to, sorry to add this part. You have yeah. to put in mind, like, you know, we understand where Nigerian politics is. Yes, yes. He's Kingsley an evil man. Guy, man. Okay, okay. No, no know, that, that's what I, I was... That's I know you, like I'll always yes, say, yes. you know, but, you know, yes. I know you're not that guy. Okay, okay. Let me, let me put reality, it this way. Reality. Let me put it this way. If Kingsley Morgalo becomes a president, I think that his focus will be economic, rapid economic development. I think that Kingsley Morgalo would emphasize the uh, release, the achievement, if you like, of Nigeria's economic potential. I think Kingsley Morgalu would focus on reforms in the power sector to give Nigeria what is not rocket science, regular uninterrupted power. If you did that, Nigerians can actually produce several times the GDP of the country. Okay, so if we were able to That's double the current, GDP. The, the current GDP, if you were able to double it or more, and you can easily do more because there's a lot of wealth tied up in Nigeria in the inefficiencies. If you did that, people are going to have more jobs. You are going to dramatically inc increase the middle class. And when you increase the middle class, guess what? People's values become better. Okay, it is. The culture of poverty is when people are dirt poor that they will see somebody who has stolen their funds and they will praise the person. If you become middle class, you start saying, why has this person done this, right? You then say, okay, all of us can't send our children. So more or less, you're saying that that's the reason why if you are stealing money, you don't want to empower people because the moment, they, the moment they get empowered and become middle class, Precisely. You know, they, they start seeing things from a different they perspective. They start seeing things from a different perspective. They start recognizing the, their ethical worldview changes, you know. I mean, why is it? It's not that... People in this country are less prone to corruption than in Nigeria. But here, if if you say that a secretary of a government department took Uber and paid with it for a private event and paid with it with his U.S. government credit card, everybody gets upset and they say, he must leave. Because everybody's saying, I pay my own taxis or my own Uber, right? Why should this person who is... Um, serving the country, pay, uh, uh, pay with my resources, right? And at any rate, people connect that this is their money. In Nigeria, a governor will steal funds. People will say, ah, it's not our funds. God has blessed him. 
is government money. It's so God, the, God, en- God gave him the money. The enlightenment that comes from just people earning better, people going to better schools, that is one reason. That the absence of it is one reason that Nigeria continues to be in the shape it is. So you, you'd say a, a, a guy like like Mogalu, for instance, since he feels at the top of the pile, yes, he understands these problems. You feel from what you've seen and heard of him, yes. he understands his problems. He has an idea of how to face them, mm-hmm. and he'll he's capable of doing that, facing them. Mogalu is capable of facing the challenge of economic development in our country. He has the knowledge. He has the experience. He has the worldview. Has a sense of history. Do you understand? Because all, none of this is rocket science, by the way. None of this is rocket science. Everybody else in the world who is enlightened knows that Nigeria is severely underperforming. Okay, and everybody knows that even when you take the scam artists amongst Nigerians that it is possible to turn their... Because it takes a measure of genius to be able to scam somebody out of their hard-earned money. If you, empowered, if you have empowered these same Nigerians who are doing these scams, if there were some other way to empower them, mm-hmm. guess what? They will use that their ingenuity to produce positively. Something else, I guess. Okay. So and if you Makes look sense. at if you look at the sec if you look at Nigeria, you see that there is there is a paradox in the country. The young people, as musicians, as filmmakers, as writers, as intellectuals, are excelling both in Nigeria and around the world. And yet you come to the critical point of leadership and we always choose the most mediocre the least visionary amongst us to be president, to be governors, to be legislators at the national and state levels, to be ministers. So clearly, therefore, if Nigerians are excelling, creating music that is really seizing the imagination of the world, creating novels and writing poetry and plays and producing movies that are getting more and more play in the world, then what is it about leadership that we can't get a country other than the one we have, which is a vast toilet? I mean, I would say is that the fact that Nigerians don't face the reality of the situation. The moment you you mention structure, everybody asks where you're from. You know, which is what we we're talking about before about the the structure of Nigeria being a problem. Mm-hmm. You know, and the moment yeah. the Kingsley Mogalu mentions the structure, mm-hmm. everybody's going to say, "Where are you from?" Oh, you're talking about this Biafra. I know. You know, other people outside my postcard referencing Biafra and all those kind of things. I know. But there's a way you mention structure because I think that the structural arrangement in Nigeria is so stilted and it's affecting every section of the country tragically. We need to recover or but we really haven't had it ever, we need to achieve for the first time a truly federal structure in Nigeria. That's, 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 like, that's like the bogeyman. That's like well, 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 scarecrow. That's what we've been talking but, about for but, decades. But, but the, point is, the point is that every state in Nigeria can actually stake out an area of competitive ad- advantage. Every state. Probably. There are resources. Some of them will be agricultural um, 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 
bedrocks. Some of them will be industrial bedrocks. Some of them will be bedrocks for extractive industries, extractive uh, resources, oil and bauxite and all, you know, coal and so on. So almost every state in Nigeria has some important natural resource that is embedded in its soil. But we've been conditioned to laziness because oil fronts are there. And Kinsley Moyalo has properly described oil as a god of small things. You know, you ask every Nigerian president, you know, why haven't you achieved more? Say, oh, look at the price of oil. Because there is not a acceptance of that, acceptance of mediocrity, acceptance of laziness, mm-hmm. that we all going to get oil. Oil belongs to all of us. doesn't we, matter where, yeah, where it's we, found. We sleep, we sleep, we wake up. Every governor in Nigeria doesn't think, how am I going to create uh, funds for my developmental uh, goals. The, the the concept the concept of creating funds is absent from Nigeria. Precisely. The concept of um, creating wealth. Yes. And when I say from Nigeria, if I scrap that man, just let's just say it's absent from typical Nigerian mentality. Mm-hmm. How do most of the billionaires here in America, for instance, are not inherited wealth? Mm-hmm. They're not from inherited wealth. Mm-hmm. A lot of them are from created wealth. Yes. How do you create wealth? Some of them, you know, got money and created, but how do you create wealth that is not just like, I'm going to buy this house mm-hmm. and then in 20 years, the price is going to rise up. Yes. Now, people sit down and create stuff. Yes. And it becomes valuable. Yes. Um, you're buying value of mm-hmm. what you... That concept is not... doesn't exist in Nigeria. The last mm-hmm. time I checked, mm-hmm. I know it's been a while, but yeah. it didn't exist when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. I'm you know, sure it doesn't I, exist I now. Tell, I tell you, on, on some... Uh, micro level it does exist because you you actually find um if you take say let me apologetically use my example so my parents had very little you know my father was a postal clerk my mother was a school teacher right. was to be a, a head headmistress they call it in nigeria um and they had five five of us as children i remember growing up that my brother and I wanted to wear the fashions that all our friends were wearing. And my parents said, no, we can't afford it. We owe you, all of you, to prepare you to grow. We owe you as sound an education as we can afford to give you. And so all of us, all five of us are graduates and doing relatively well in our different fields of endeavor. So you find we don't have wealth quite. But we are not um, where you might predict looking at our, uh, the circumstances, the economic, socioeconomic circumstances and bracket of our parents, right? So at the very micro level, you know, you find um, uh, young men and women who take to trades and really carve out a niche for themselves and create some wealth. But actually where you do, they, 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 the um, the problem is in the public um, sector that you know we have allowed to hijack our public sectors the least productive and the least visionary and the least enlightened among us. So these are men and women, and they are the ones who get to power because they're the ones to who use the word hijacked. I think is not to cut you short, but to use the word hijacked, I think is not appropriate because. 
it's been like that mm. for generations well now, over two generations okay but they have been hijacking whether as they, politicians they've or been as, maintaining and improving their their ridiculous you know structure whatever you but, might call it but you know we, we talked a little bit uh, a while ago about the rigging of elections okay um so that that's one aspect of it that that um and Basanjo really served our country very poorly because he is a, epitomized, you know, electoral irresponsibility. I think you so. Know, yeah. Where any state he wanted, even if uh, the PDP the only state won, he never took was Lagos. Precisely. Even if the PDP had only 5%, he would decide he wanted this state. They would just write results and, and seize it, right? But part of why that was happening was that, uh, you know, uh, you find in our country that the reprobates, the most reprehensible elements in society, are the ones who get drawn into politics. These are people who can't compete in any other field. Very true. They cannot. So they are willing to kill, therefore, their political opponents in order to gain power. They are willing to rig. They are willing to shoot and carry the ballot box. They are willing to shamelessly, if they win 5% of the votes, they will say, announce that we won 95%. And they will come out and say, God gave, gives power and God has given me power. And the enlightened people will say, I'm not going to participate in this kind of dirty game, right? So, so because we don't participate, we let our worst get away and you know so i insist in a lot of ways that what they do is to hijack power whether they were doing it as military officers or they are now doing it as incumbents who send their thugs and send the uh, sss and send Mm. the police and the military to do do the rigging for them Mm. i I mean to me it's more like a hair to the throne just continuing it Mm. and all that stuff but i mean it's interesting I mean, I get where a lot of people are looking at all these things from. Um, they are used to all these guys, Atiku, um, Buhari, all these sorts of individuals. Um, even Obasanjo, I think, is now supporting Atiku, which is kind of bizarre. <laughs> um, and it's not because people don't disagree in politics. Don't mm-hmm. get me wrong. It's mm-hmm. just there's a level of disagree. It's kind of like, if, you know, I live in America. So we live in America. I live in New York. Um, FYI. Um, <laughs> I mean, watching Ted Cruz and, and Trump is... Oof, yes. oh, man, I'm like, bro, come on. Mm-hmm. That, that, I get people disagree, but man, mm-hmm. somebody insulted my father and my wife and yeah. all that stuff like yes. that. I don't think yes. I don't think we're standing on any any bloody stage together. No. <laughs> I no. think there's a there's yeah. a there's a level of um mm-hmm. love you get past where mm-hmm. I just gotta be like, yo man, it's been mm-hmm. nice knowing you, but I ain't standing beside you. That's right. I have a level of self respect. Mm-hmm. But I see it we see it in Nigeria. We all see it. Um, you know, we see the distance to the, the issues that we're having. And then you talk about, about Mogalu and all this stuff. And people are like, I was, I was telling the story of, um, you know, people who sit down and somebody said, yo, he, he feels like 30% of the people he has met mm. have said Mogalu, exactly what you're saying. Mm-hmm. But Mogalu won't win. So they are not voting for Mogalu. That's right. Which is just, <laughs> you know, is yeah. it a case of, oh, I'm not sure this girl will mm-hmm. win. I'm not voting because that's mm-hmm. pretty much how Trump got elected. Yeah, I'm yeah. not sure Trump will be about vote yeah, for Trump. Yeah. You know, or is it people acknowledging that look the system is just not going to work? Well, yeah. So it depends on 
again, I, I find it curious, right? It depends on our sense of ourselves and our sense of Nigeria as a national community. If I became uh, fatalistic and said things will never change in Nigeria, the moment I came to that conclusion, I would quit Nigeria. I would, because I don't uh, want but to. I, but as you as a personal person. Okay, no, but okay, but right. l- l- let me make this point. All right. Because there are people who say Moralu won't win, okay? Um, and so we're not going to vote for him, which, as I explained, is the most stupid uh, position to take. Um, because even those who support the so called. Um, uh, um, the, big two, the big two, the big two, Buhari or, or the, so, the so-called big two, because I, I, I sincerely don't think they got the votes. It, it, it's only one of them who will win, so mean, meaning that one would lose, right? And I talk to people in Nigeria, and some people will give me their sense of the electoral map, and they will say he favored Atiku. Some other people will say no, they don't see any pathway for Atiku, uh, and they will give their electoral map, right? Um, so. You can actually you can meet somebody who will give you a credible case why Atiku would not win or why Buhari would not win, and yet there are people supporting them, even though they are the weakest, most um, least attractive candidates. candidates out there. Okay, yeah. so I said to people, why would you then say I'm not going to vote for Mario because he won't win? I would think that you say I'm going to vote for him because he's the best candidate. Now, how do I? improve the odds of his winning. And as I said, you start calling your friends, you start texting your friends, you start speaking to your relatives. And at any rate, if we adopted this position, let's, let me even actually give you another good case scenario. Let's assume that Moralu is going to lose. Okay? I want to assume for the purposes of this argument that he's going to lose. If Buhari or Atiku, uh, win and they get, say, 15 million votes, okay? And Moraluk, who is the best candidate in the race, gets 200,000, 250,000. Guess the lesson we have telegraphed to the wretched candidate who won is that we, Nigerians, will look at the best candidate and only 250,000 of us will vote for the best candidate. So what is the um, incentive for Buhari if he wins again or for Atiku if he defeats Buhari to actually sit up and say, I better serve people because they're going to hold me to high expectations. But if Atiku or Buhari gets, say, 15 million votes and Moagalo loses, but he gets Four or five million votes because there are there should be four or five million Nigerians who say we want to vote for the best person. Guess what? Buhari and or Atiku. Mm-hmm. Okay, we say, wow, there is a tide changing in our country. In four years, maybe this man or somebody like him will defeat us. So let's sit up. Do you understand? So that's why I say to Nigerians, if you consider Moralo the best candidate. And I don't see anybody who would credibly make a contrary argument. Then it's your duty as an enlightened citizen to vote for the best. At any rate, we're going to be caught in this 
recurrent cycle. So four years from now, Buhari, if he gets re-elected, would have messed up even more big time. <laughs> or Atiku would have, you know, failed us because, you know, he doesn't have it in him to succeed. He's going to fail. Then we'll say again, oh, it has to be Atiku re-elected or some other person from the APC that we're going to choose, even though he doesn't have prospects of performing well because they are the only two parties. And you say, how about this good candidate? Oh, he's going to lose. So it means that we're going to be caught in this cycle of fulfilling, prophesying and fulfilling our own continuing disaster. Hmm. Well, I mean, people don't... I'd say there's a reason why people like support like the Chelsea's of the world in Nigeria. I remember growing up yes. in a different case. <laughs> the reason why people support the Manchester United yep. in Nigeria, and that's all they do now. Mm-hmm. They don't support, there's no stationary stalls, shooting stars. <laughs> For those that don't know, there used to be, that, that used to be a thing. You know, people used to go support their local teams. Rangers International. Rangers International. ICC. ICC. You know, that was a thing. That was a Saturday thing. I'm <laughs> yeah. going out of my house and yeah. people would be like going there to watch the game. Yes. You know, it's no longer a thing. I can't even imagine where it is now. There's a reason why those things have changed. Um, I think, well, I say, I won't say it's mental degradation because that's when it's one person. Mm-hmm. It's society, you know, um, disintegrating to a point where people just want to follow the winner. Nobody wants to lose. Yeah, but ultimately you must follow some loser because <laughs> the winner is not always guaranteed, you know, and that's the point that I'm making. If you follow Atiku, there's a good chance that Atiku would lose. Either lose uh, um, realistically or lose via being rigged out. Because that's the other point that people make about Mario, though, that the system would not allow him to win. That even if he won, that the system or they, they sort of, the people use they. And I say, who are they? Are they some spirits that have come from Mars? You know, these are Nigerians. So I say to us, I say to our people, we must, we must change it's it's a it's 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 a it's a psychological thing finally mm-hmm. you can't let yourself continue to suffer in the name of uh the 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 primacy of two terrible political parties which are really siamese twins the pdp and the apc make no mistake are one and the same party which is why so many people were able to leave the PDP and rush to the APC. And now so many of them have left again from the APC back into the PDP. There's no ideological difference. There's no personal difference. They're the same people. They are all uh, committed to the idea of squandering the resources of a country and therefore ruining the country. And so we better, we better really wake up and recognize that uh, if there's going to be any change, it's going to come from us. There's no time when the PDP or the APC would allow somebody like Moralo to come and be their presidential candidate. Hmm. No, no way. And if, even if they chose him, it would be because they have found a way to neutralize him. So they are going to present him 
in order to go and serve their own very primitive interests, which is the interest of you know primitive accumulation, really, hmm. is is what we're looking at. So, I mean, looking at it, man, looking at these guys, um, looking at the elections, not even these guys. It's not a question of picking winners or losers, or you know, you just feel very strongly. Which I've known you for a little while now. You know, you feel pretty strongly about um, Morgalu's campaign. Yes. And I got to say, man, you know, I know you. You're not that guy. You're not that. Your wife is, like I said, prominent Yoruba family, mm-hmm. even though she's mixed race and all that. But you're not that guy. doesn't matter even if it wasn't the case. Mm-hmm. The guy I know is not that guy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but mm-hmm. that's just my opinion mm-hmm. uh, from knowing you for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, but looking at, looking at, Nigeria as a whole, looking at the elections, um, it seems like you're advocating citizens, well, I say rights now, citizens, people waking up and trying to just do what they feel is best, mm-hmm. like more or less like, oh, you've got nothing to lose. Mm-hmm. Um, the more Galu enters, it's better for you. Mm-hmm. If a fella Drotoye enters, it's, it's better good. for you. Even if um, you know, my boy Chike Okegbu enters, mm-hmm. it's better for you. That's right. If, um, who else is in the race, it's, man? Uh, there is um, um, uh, Tokme Fashua who Tokme excites Fashua the heck out of me. You know, let's mix it up. Yeah. Tokme Fashua enters, man. Yo, yes. It's yes. better for you. Yes. Um, but Atiku or Buhari are just two guys who people, yeah. you know, forgivable. That at Buhari especially was somebody who had sought power, came to power, had a reputation for being um, something clearly has proven either he was not or mm-hmm. age has taken away from mm-hmm. him. <laughs> I don't know which of the two to be nice to the yeah. guy. Yeah. But I mean, it's clear, even for those of us that don't live in Nigeria, like we're not like, yeah, bro, man, you, you're not an anti-corruption guy. Mm-mm. And, you know, like you were elaborating, like, hey, you know, you could have done this without having to arrest people and all those kind of things. That's right. Um, it's pretty interesting to note that and all those kind of things. Um, but looking at the elections, man, I mean, it seems like you sincerely believe that people should take in the power to their hands and vote who you want to vote for. Mm-hmm. Um, if you can, like, mm-hmm. make sure the votes are counted and do what you can to make sure. Yeah. Do what you, you can. The world is to ensure the integrity of the vote. Yeah. Um, not trying to speak. Yeah too much but you know that's that. I, I think that basically you have distilled the essence of my message you know um, every four years we have this jamboree that we have general elections that we call general elections in Nigeria and yet every four years Nigerians engage in you know what Chinua Achebe will call the act of snatching defeat from the jaws of victory we declare that the best candidates don't have a chance. We declare it. And then we go ahead based on that declaration to choose one of the two worst candidates. And then we sit down and bemoan over the next four years that they are doing really what we should expect them to do, which is to deliver mediocrity and, and uh, confusion and pathology to us. You know, we complain. And yet when somebody who can give us a different order of of society, a different form of governance, an enlightened, you know, form of governance. When such a person comes comes out, again, we come out and say, no, he's not going to win. 
And so we, um, I don't know how we, we can reconcile ourselves to the amount of money we spend on elections, the amount of man hours we waste on elections, the number of human beings, human lives that we actually waste, because a lot of people always die in Nigerian elections. And we do all of this for one or the other of the same political party. Because as I said, I insist that the PDP and APC are the same political party. Buhari and Atiku don't have anything fundamentally um, uh, uh, at stake between them. Both of them are wedded to the same notion, to the same idea of governance, which is do the least possible. And sometimes because they don't know that more can be done. Okay? And in a lot of ways, I would say that first of all, we should vote for the person we consider the best candidate in the field. Right. I have no question that that's Kinsley Morgalo. No question at all. And I think that I know that he's not even close. He is by many, many miles the sounder, more visionary, more enlightened candidate. It's, it's good for people to, you know, we didn't elaborate on... Yes. It's not... I, I get that, actually, if you're listening from Nigeria, thinking yes. like, yes. this is yes. okay in the Bay, you know, yeah, okay. well, um, 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 you know so, to be, being a politician for being yes. promoting Kingsley Moga. Yes. It's good to listen, look at his platform and listen to him. You look at his like platform, you look at Kingsley Moga's understanding of economic development and something he's done at the highest level the deputy governor of the Central Bank of Nigeria and something is done at the highest level again as a professor at some of the best schools, business schools in the world studying international development and relations. So this man understands how economies are built and he understands that economies don't become great based on their natural resources which is why it's particularly resonant to me when he said that oil is the god of small things. For Atiku and Buhari, oil is everything. For ba Basanjo, oil is everything. Babangida, oil is everything. Mm -hmm. So you, they excuse their failures by saying, oh, look, by the time I came in, the this price, the of, price oil of oil had, had fallen. Right? Like it means something. Mogalo understands that when you look at the history of Japan and Germany and Singapore, the countries that but really about understanding well. it. Can you, do, you, do you really believe in... in his ideas and implementing it in Nigeria. Absolutely. Because as I said to you already, as I said to you already, every sector where Nigerians can take personal initiative, they are excelling in music, in filmmaking, even in setting up businesses. That's true. Okay? Well, I see in America in, all the time. In writing. Do you understand? Nigerians are excelling. The only places where Nigerians are not excelling are the places where the government has a direct impact. And when you have the bad leadership, what do our leaders do? Under Jonathan, the power sector was privatized. Okay? It could have created an impact in Nigeria's power sector. But what did they do? They gave the thing out to their cronies. Okay? So their cronies who were not competent to run this discourse, power distribution, and they did not invest in the power that these companies would distribute. And so when 
People in government always think their first consideration in, when thinking of public policy is how much am I going to get? Which is what the Babangida, Atiku, Babangida, Basanjo group are. That's their mindset. How much goes into my pocket, into the pockets of my cronies and friends? Okay, so just a Kingsley Mogalu being enlightened enough to bring wait, to say to say wait a minute to yeah. say who who are the best people for the job? If we had leaders who say who are the best people for the job, what's the best policy for, for our country? Not the best policy that will put money in my pocket because the one that will put money in your pocket may impoverish Nigeria, but Nigerian leaders will choose that. Because they think that the object of leadership is to enrich themselves and enrich their friends. So just the enlightenment that comes from somebody knowing, a moralu knowing, that your weight, your gravity as a human being is not measured in terms of how much money you have or how, what mansions you own or whether you have a private jet. That there's something called legacy. There's something called vision right mm -hmm. so just that alone do you understand that his ethical mindset is a totally different one from Atiku or Buhari that his understanding of development when when he studied societies and he's seen how different countries have achieved and he knows that Nigeria is actually Nigerians are achieving at so many different sectors but it is only where the government comes in that the government sabotages. So the problem in Nigeria is not the incompetence of political leaders. It's actually their active pursuit of policies that undermine and sabotage the and flowering you, you, of Nigerian You feel they, they, they pursue that because they feel that their interests should be all that matters. All that matters. So as I, as I told you, and you well, feel you feel in relation to like a Kingsley Mogalu, he won't be that guy. Kingsley Mogalu will not be that guy. He will be under enormous pressure because there are people who that's the only way they know how to uh, make money. Yeah. But Kingsley Mogalu can say to you, if Kingsley Mogalu were running the privatization of the power sector, okay, if you are his friend and you are harassing him to, you know, make sure you make some money. It will not be abnormal for him to make sure that you get a piece of the pie, but he will insist on you getting a, a first of all a proper foreign partner who has the technology. Do you understand? And that you have a plan to bring in the capital to make a change in the distributive cap uh, capacity of your of your, the sector um, of the that country that you're given. Do you but, understand? But 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 so, during during Obasanjo, not not uh, not you know, I know Obasanjo was at the head. During Obasanjo, he brought in guys like Kinsley Mogalu, he brought in Okonjiwala, mm -hmm. Batanaji that yes. used to live yes. close to you and yes. you know. Mm -hmm. Um and Batanaji especially didn't solve the power sector either. So Okay. I mean okay. he probably did a better job than almost any other person, but he didn't solve Pre it. Precisely because like there were have. there were vested interests. There were vested interests determined that he not succeed sure. okay and when you don't have and he was actually under jonathan when you don't have a president okay when you when you have a president who instead of thinking of his legacy that if i solve the power problem that history will view me kindly 
he's more thinking about how much money would my wife make or would my my or I make. Do you understand? When you have people who are thinking at that level, then uh, he will sacrifice uh, an energy or somebody else who is trying to make real change just to serve the parochial primitive interests of his friends or of himself. So that's why you need somebody who is enlightened, somebody who will say to his friends, because, you know, listen, everywhere in the world, including America, if you supported President Trump, guess what? He will pursue policies that would help your business. He's not going to punish you. Oh, for most people, uh-huh. not everybody. You understand? Else. Okay. So, I'm not saying that Kingsley Morgalo would throw his friends to the side. But Kingsley Morgalo is the kind of person who will say to his friends again, you know, you can get a piece of the pie in the energy sector but you have to meet a certain minimal standards because the goal is not to give you money. The goal is for you to be a player in changing the power sector. So you're saying of all the guys running. So I want want results precisely. I believe, and just he's enlightened. I mean, okay, let me be honest. Kinsley Moyaluk will come in and become monstrous and disappoint the heck out of me and out of everybody who's put faith in him. But what I'm saying is that his enlightenment, his understanding, Buhari doesn't have it. Atiku doesn't have it. So let us put for the first time... Take a risk. Somebody, big, somebody who knows big how nations develop, who knows what it takes to develop a country. Let's put such a person in. If he disappoints us because of his personal uh, maybe weakness in character, guess what? The next time, let's put in somebody else who is knowledgeable. We shouldn't go back to choosing people who are basically clueless. Okay? Let's, because, you know, sometimes Nigerians share videos of the Ghanaian president and they show him speaking well. You know, or he can, and they say, why can't we have such a leader? Okay, so and I'm saying, why don't you have, why don't you even elect somebody who can articulate your vision? And in articulating it, as it were, move you, inspire you to greatness. So we have, you know, mediocrities. Too many mediocrities have been our leaders. And, and well, I mean, it, it'll be good for a change in pace, put it that way. Yeah. You know, if you run marathons like, or you run long distance races, like I, I like to, I think you like to. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get to like um, third mile. Mm-hmm. I think it's kilometers in Nigeria. Then. Yeah. Uh, some kilometer. <laughs> decide to change the pace. That's right. Um, but I mean, basically you're saying Nigeria has big problems. Mm. I mean, my summary of what you're saying is this. Nigeria has big problems. Needs big solutions. Um, and the person you see that has talked about practical big solutions is Kinsey Mogalu, mm. irrespective of any other thing where he's from. And most people feel, tend to feel like, well, the system is a system. Mm. It's going to favor either Atiku or Buhari. Mm-hmm. And in, in your defense, four years ago, it was, it was always going to favor Jonathan. That's right. He didn't. But people didn't. are like, Jonathan was a cool guy. Mm-hmm. Maybe lightning strikes twice. Mm-hmm. Maybe Jonathan just wasn't a cool guy. It's just that things have changed in Nigeria to the point that there's people power, people vote. Mm-hmm. The human person is coming back in Nigeria and it's worth saying, hey, look, I want to vote this way. Mm-hmm. 
even if I don't think this person will win, I want to vote that way. Absolutely. Uh, take that uh, risk. And part of what I'm saying is that it should be a particular responsibility to vote the person we consider the best candidate. That that's what we would do in our personal lives. So if, if we had a business, okay, and we, we had candidates who want to run our businesses for us, we would not say... Um, um, this person is the best candidate, but um, uh, you know uh, my wife would not like him. We'll, vote, we'll try to choose the best candidate, right? So when we are talking about a far more complex organism mm-hmm. called the nation, called the country, it's it's it speaks to a particular tragedy that we we'll then say we know this guy is the best candidate but then we declare the impossibility of his winning and we then uh, ensure the reality of that prophecy by withholding from the best candidate our own votes. So I say to people, if you are listening to me and you believe, if you have somehow come up with an argument that Buhari and Atiku or Atiku are superior to Kinsley Morgan, and if, if there's any argument like that out there. I'd like to hear it. I'd like somebody to That'd really call me and say to me, A, B, C, D. These are the reasons why Buhari and uh, Morgan. Not nothing. I don't want sentiment. Don't tell me, uh, you know, Buhari, you know, understands Nigeria better. He doesn't. Or Atiku, you know, uh, in, you know, will be will inspire the loyalty of the military. That's nonsense. But if you have sound argument, why uh, these two candidates? either both of them or either of them is superior to Mogalu. I'd like to hear it. But if you believe that Mogalu is better, which is my personal judgment, and I think is a pretty sound judgment, then first of all, do yourself the duty, the enlightened duty of saying, I'm going to vote for the best person. And once you do that, if you then come up with this thing that, oh, he doesn't have structure, then I invite you to be his structure. Do what I did in Nigeria. I must have talked to, you know, hundreds of people in Nigeria during my visit. And I said to them, if I were here, I would vote for this guy. I'm asking you, and I'll debate with them. And nobody could come up with a superior argument why they shouldn't vote for Moral, apart from, oh, he doesn't have structure. He's not on ground. I say, be on ground for him. He's not on ground really means that he's not there talking to people. I said, talk to people on his behalf if you believe he's the best candidate. You know, if you believe that he will be rigged out, guess what? Be his party agent, volunteer, go to the polling board, spend a few hours. It's the destiny of your country. Make sure that the final tallies are faithfully reported. So, look, uh, Zeke and Awo and uh, Nahoro and, you know, uh, Habab Makole, all of these men... Margaret Ebo, you know, the late um, Fumilayo Ransom Kuti. These are people who fought the colonial system so that we'll be an independent nation. If they sat around saying, oh, the British are too powerful, we can never remove them. Guess what? The British will still be marching on our necks today. We'll still be a colony today. So how can we have our own people using the military who 
and the soldiers are our brothers and sisters and fathers and mothers. Our own uh, police and they are our fellows using the DSS. And DSS are not from Mali. They are Nigerians. They have parents and brothers and sisters and so on. How can they be using these people to steal elections? Not to do good, but to then hijack our resources. And we're saying, oh, you know, we can't help it. We're going to collaborate in our own impoverishment. It doesn't make sense to me. I mean, that's interesting. I mean, the biggest question people might have right now, Hilary um, and all that, is this. Are you going to vote? Well, I'm not going to vote because we don't have kind of hypocritical. No, no, no. It's not hypocritical because we haven't created a system where Nigerians outside of the country can vote. That's fair. If I can, I could. I mean, I'm I'm now an American citizen. I take the vote seriously. I vote in every elections in this country, and that's part of uh, maybe a program that we can do sometime. That Nigerians in the diaspora outside of the country must be given a vote, and if that becomes the case, I'll be one of the first who would insist to my friends and family. That you take that responsibility seriously. That's a good. I mean, that's um, a good project. I wish it was the case too. And even though I, I can't, even though I can't vote, that's why I'm passionate about this. That's why I want to bury my mother. But I spent time talking almost to everybody who came. So literally, to, the only way to vote is to actually be in Nigeria during yes, the election and to yes, have been there to yes, register and all precisely. that Precisely, you be there during the registration and so on. You know, so huh. that's why I don't have the vote. But I can vote with my voice. I can vote with my writing. And I'm, I, I plan to write a piece where I set out in, 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 in a very quick summative form the argument I've been making for Kingsley Morgan. And as I said, if Buhari and Atiku would actually reflect on it, they will spare, they will spare themselves their own limitations and vote for Kingsley Morgan. I mean, I agree with you, man, but there wouldn't I mean, too much ego, I guess, in that country. But, yeah, I guess, man, on that note, man, um, you know, it's time to uh, call it a wrap for this session. Continue. It's Later been on. a right. very rewarding and provocative conversation. I almost feel and like I going hope, to, I almost feel like buying a ticket for the elections to go I vote. Know, I, I know, and I know. And I hope that, <laughs> I hope that people will be open to just do something other than what is predictable. And what's predictable is that our people don't recognize that we, we're spending a lot of money, we're spending a lot of hours, we're spending a lot of man hours, we're spending a lot True. of human lives. This process is meaningful. Let us make it meaningful by Some choosing, making a different choice other than what's predictable, PDP or APC. That's true. But it's just that, I guess, for Nigeria, you know, you have generations now, 60s, 70s, guys in their 60s and 70s have, have seen mediocrity. That's right. And they all just enjoy it. So they've, and they've, tell you, hey, they've become my, accustomed like to my it. My cousin was talking to me yesterday. I mean, this is at the end, but let me, like, yeah, people were bugging her before. Oh, yeah, go and marry. Go and marry. She's probably at late 20s or mid-down. Mm-hmm. And, and then when she wants to get married, she's now getting, she just got married a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, she called me to thank me for whatever contribution I contributed to i don't know i don't have a hold of all my yes i contributed my dear but i don't have a hold of all my finances <laughs> i just do what i told half the time 
And she's like, ah, did, did you contribute? I'm like, yeah, I did. Uh, but I, I, I just do what they say. Yes. <laughs> so, and then, you know, she's, she, she's like, yeah, you know, uh, when she wanted to get married, people were telling her, uh, yeah, get married before she got married. When she's like, oh, she's getting married. I'm like, no, you're too young now. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wait your turn Live now. your you life. Wait yeah. your life now. That's right. Wait your turn. But you people are telling me to get married before now. This year. Which, <laughs> which is part of what they do in Nigeria. They say, oh, Kinsley Mohalo should start uh, at a humble level. Let him go and run a local government or run for governorship. Yeah, exactly. And I say that's stupid, you know, because first of all, you know, he's not much younger than Obama. And Obama has been the president of the most powerful country in the world. Obama is like, what, 51? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, uh, no, 50 what? Is he up to 57? Obama? Yeah. Oh, yes. Obama is close to 60. Obama, I think uh, Obama oh, okay. is... Uh, he was young, though. But yeah, he, he's a young man, but, yeah. you know, relatively speaking. But I think Obama... Um, Kinsley Moralo was born in 1963. I think oh, okay. Obama might have been born in 61 or 62. Oh, yes, about the same age. You know, so the, about the same age. And at any rate, if you look at what happened to somebody like um, Pato Tommy. When Pato Tommy ran for the presidency a few years ago, Nigerians said, oh, you know, he should start at the local level. Let him run a state. Well, he went to (coughs) run for the governorship of his state. (laughs) At the state primaries, he was at the venue waiting for the primaries to start up, to take up. They announced the winner at a different <laughs> venue. You know, so so there's a system. You know, so let's not say to Kinsley Moragalo, go and run a local government area or run a state. Tell Atiku to go and run a state. Tell Buhari to go and run his village. You That's know, right. Kinsley Moragalo, somebody, the best brain in the field should run the country. I mean, the most committed person, I guess. Yeah. Best, the most uh, person best ideas, committed, yeah. all that stuff. That's interesting. I mean, we'll see how it goes. That's right. Um, we'll be watching. We'll be talking. Um, you know, we hope we enlighten a whole bunch of people with stuff. Uh, we're, you know, more just based on points of views and stuff like that. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, that's different, but just based on facts. Mm-hmm. That's what we're trying to talk about and differentiate A from B. Um, you know, you might not want to listen and be like, yo, <laughs> this guy is evil or this guy is this or this guy. This guy has enjoyed too much. Mm-hmm. Other people enjoy his, his, his work. I think he worked like the World Bank or the IMF or somewhere. Yes, yes. Um, you know, that's what I'm doing. But um, there's big problems, big responsibilities. There's a reason why China and America are the biggest green economies in the world. That's right. big reason because even though Chairman Mao is like a dictator, but still visionary. Mm-hmm. Even though the Singapore family, one family has been ruining Singapore for, I don't know, 60 years or maybe not 60 years, but... For a long time. For a long time. Yeah. And they are the least corrupt country in the world, all that stuff. So it's always a big, every election is a change election. So mm-hmm. let's see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Yeah. Um, yeah. So we'll be catching up with you guys soon. Yeah. Hope to see you guys soon. Um, and I uh, hope you guys enjoyed it, man. So thank you. It's been a delight. All right. Ciao.